Good morning, church. I'm so excited for us to continue on in our series and prayer today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Man, what a time of worship. I thank you, ladies, for those songs you picked for us. That was such just a sweet time for me. That, that line in that song, there's no sound louder than the captives set free. What, what a beautiful truth of the gospel that we get to celebrate every week, that Jesus's work on the cross is sufficient to set us free, and that elicits those kind of loud shouts of joy. What a beautiful time. Guys, I'm stoked to continue our time today. We're gonna to be closing out our series on prayer. And I don't know if it's the series on prayer, just where we're at in life right now, but, but each week that goes by where we're digital, I find myself more and more and more just longing for when we can be together in the same room, shouting those praises to our Jesus and celebrating the gospel. Obviously, we have to do what's right for the safety of people and for loving our neighbors and for honoring authorities over us, but, but I hope you guys are with me in just this eager anticipation of when we're going to be able to physically gather again. You know, in the coming days, we're going to be getting information to you guys about that exact plan as stuff begins to open back up in St. Louis County. We're talking through the safest and most God-honoring ways for us to begin to gather again, and I'm really excited for that. But what I love is that even in a time like this, when we can't physically be together, we are still bound together by the blood of Jesus. And what I love about this series we've been in is that there's something about prayer that I think really zones us together and, and helps us to really experience and keep and up build, build up that connection that we do have in Christ, even when we're physically apart. Today we're going to continue on and finish out this prayer series. We, we've been going through kind of an out, using Jesus's prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, as kind of an outline to talk about different aspects of prayer and the life of the believer. And so we've spent time talking about how when we pray, we're praying to God, our Father, who knows us and knows what we need. We've spent time talking about what it means to abide in Christ, and in that, begin to pray His will. Pray that His will would be done in us and in the world around us. We've talked about God's prayer speaking into our daily needs uh, to, to sustain us and how that works itself out in the day-to-day -day life of a disciple and disciple making. We've talked about what it means to incorporate gospel forgiveness into our prayer, to give and receive forgiveness from others and from God. And today, we're going to be using this line from, from verse 13 that kind of ends out the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew 6, 13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus ends his prayer with a concern for temptation and a request for deliverance or protection. I know for many of us, the lines of the Lord's Prayer are so familiar that we can kind of lose them in the, in the monotony of familiarity. You know, that's a large part of why Baptists historically moved away from pre-written prayers and liturgy and things like that. Like, familiarity breeds contempt, right? It's easy when you pray the same words week after week or take the same communion week after week or sing the same songs week after week for it to lose some of its emotional edge, right? 
Honestly, I mean, that's at least partially true, but I wanna challenge you guys today as we wrap this series up to really turn that idea on its head. Let some aspects of your spiritual life become mundane. I know that's a weird thing to say, but follow me with this for a moment. Everyday life is mundane. I'm willing to bet that most of the times you've kissed your spouse or eaten a meal or exercised or brushed your teeth or taken a walk have been pretty mundane and even forgettable. They're a part of everyday life, their habit, their writ. You can do most of those things without actively thinking and yet they are a part of your health. They are a part of your life and they are important. Most healthy meals are forgettable. I mean, that's just kind of what it is, but they add up to a healthy life and that's important. When we take communion week after week after week, it can become this forgettable part of our Sunday experience. But remember guys, it's a healthy meal. It's this reminder that Jesus is in fact sufficient in the mundane, forgettable aspects of life. And I would say for our purposes today, the same is true of the Lord's Prayer. You may have it memorized and that may make it seem like it's a poor tool for growing in your prayer life, but, but I would say the opposite. Because it's so easy and common and accessible to us, it can remind us that the truths of the Lord's Prayer are true and applicable in the everyday mundane aspects of your life. God is your good Father who knows you every day. He, you can abide in him every day. He meets your needs every day. He forgives you every day. And with our text today, spiritual warfare is real every day. I think this is the simple truth of our understanding of the Lord's Prayer for today. Temptation and evil and sin are with us every day. And Jesus wants to speak into this aspect of our lives every day. Beloved, you are at war with your flesh and with the curse and with Satan himself. But praise be to God that he has defeated the evil of this world and the evil of our own hearts. And we can find freedom for those things day by day. With that in mind, turn with me to Luke 22. We're going to read one of the most intense texts regarding prayer in the whole of Scripture, and it speaks directly into this issue of prayers concerning temptation and evil. So in Matthew 22, starting in verse 39, we read this. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us before we continue on. Jesus, today as we take a few minutes to talk about your heart for our prayer life, how we commune with you, how we speak to you, especially in this area of temptation and spiritual warfare and the evil and the curse of this world, we ask that you would just make yourself really clearly heard and known this morning illuminate your text to us, speak through the truth and sufficiency of your word to us, cut out and push away any distractions or lies that keep us from the truth you have for us today. And Jesus, let us leave this time this morning, even in our own living rooms with our families, with people we love, let us leave this time having spent a few moments with you today. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So what are we going to do with this text today? I'd like to spend a few minutes kind of putting ourselves in the story, putting it in context. It's, it's heavy, it's dark, but I, I think it'll be worth it for us to reflect on kind of the weightiness of this story for a few moments. I think that'll lead us honestly to a really, really simple truth of scripture. Uh, we'll see some teaching from Hebrews, but, but it's going to lead us to this really cool teaching Paul had in his letter to the first Corinthians, and we'll end out uh, our time with communion. So the story of our text the scene is part of the passion story, right? This is Jesus's last night on earth before he's betrayed. This is the Garden of Gethsemane scene as told by the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus is in Jerusalem with his closest friends. It's right before his crucifixion. He's come here to celebrate Passover. And there is this plot by the religious leaders of the day to have him killed. One of his closest friends, Judas Iscariot, has agreed secretly to betray Jesus into the hands of these leaders. And, and this is the wild part. Jesus knows about this plot. He knows he's going to be arrested and unjustly killed. He knows he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's actually pushing for it. He's setting the stage for this to happen. He knows it's all a part of the gospel plan, and he's setting up his own betrayal, abandonment, and torturous death. Our story this morning picks up literal moments before his betrayal. If you read on to verse 47, it says, while he was still speaking, the crowds come up to him, right? So this is the last few moments of freedom Jesus has before he enters fully into his suffering. He's He's uh, gone with his friends after the Last Supper to the Mount of Olives. It's this space kind of outside Jerusalem proper, built into this hill. It's full of gardens and these groves of olive trees. It's still there today. It's beautiful. You can Google images of it. And Luke tells us that it was Jesus' custom to come here and pray. Uh, so 
whatever we know about Jesus's time in Jerusalem, we know that when he was here, this was a space he came to often. And the gospels tell us that it was Jesus's custom to go out by himself, sometimes at night and sometimes for long periods of time to pray by himself. And so it seems likely that this is kind of Jesus's prayer spot for his vigils when he's around Jerusalem. For our purposes today, like you can read more details about the story and what's going on if you look at the Matthew account or the Mark account. But what we need to know for, for this text today is that Jesus has taken his friends aside to pray and he's not doing well. He's really hurting. He's really burdened over the weight of what's about to happen. And so he takes his friends aside and he asks them to pray for him and pray for themselves. And he goes off by himself to pray. So like this, this whole thing is centered around in the midst of this trying time, Jesus setting aside some time for himself and his followers to pray. But his followers don't fully understand what's going on and they don't take the prayer time seriously. They, they miss him in this and it ends up with Jesus just kind of alone with God. This isn't really our point today, but, but I feel like maybe some of us need to hear this because I feel like a lot of us can probably relate to this, right? That you put yourself out there spiritually, whether it's in uh, a time of confession or in gospel community or in discipleship, whatever it is, and the other people present just miss the weight of you putting yourself out there and they just don't meet you in it. This is kind of where Jesus is. His followers, for whatever reason, just can't meet him in his suffering right now. So he goes on separate from them and he prays in solitude while they fall asleep. Now, the image here is really stark. I want you to actually like picture this, right? Like get yourself in the story. Jesus goes into the garden by himself and he bows down to the ground to pray. Now, this probably seems just relatively normal for us, but it's actually an unusual posture for prayer in Jesus's day. Jewish men and rabbis usually prayed standing up with their eyes toward the heaven and their hands open and facing up word for Jesus to get down on his hands and knees to lay down in prayer is an expression of his exhaustion and his desperation. Now, I don't want to be like overly dramatic with this, right? But I think it's important for us to note Jesus is not doing well. I know that that fits weird for some of us in our understanding of Jesus, but the gospel writers give us this scene intentionally because it shows us the reality of Jesus's incarnation. He is a man and he is burdened. Mark tells us he is sorrowful to the point of death. Guys, Jesus is about to experience the full wrath of God. Jesus, our, our sweet Jesus, our Lord and Savior is about to experience hell. The full presence of the wrath of God for sin. To say that Jesus is hurting and burdened in this moment is an understatement. And look what he does. Jesus, in his darkest and deepest hurt, comes to the Father with his real temptations, his real hurts, and his whole heart. 
Hold on to that kind of idea because I want us to actually pick that apart and think about it. Jesus comes to the Father with his real temptations, his real hurts, and his whole heart. Jesus comes to God in honest and real prayer in the midst of his need. Beloved of Jesus, if you hear nothing else in this sermon or in this series, hear this. God wants to hear from you. He, he does. Prayer is your direct line connection to the heart of God. He is always available to you and he longs to hear from you. Speak to him. Come to him with your, your real needs, your real concerns. This is what Jesus models for us. Prayer is your immediate and constant connection to God. Beloved, speak to him. Speak to him. The opportunity is always available to you. Jesus loves you. He knows you. And he's listening. Speak to him. But let's, let's look at the nature of Jesus' prayer in the garden. Knowing his coming suffering, he brings his temptation to God. He does not want to endure this coming wrath. He does not want hell. He does not want to be God's enemy. Is there any other way? Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He experienced every sort of temptation that you or I would have experienced in his place. The only difference is that he did not sin. Who of us, with if faced with the mission of Jesus, would not look for a way out? Now, I understand that this is likely uncomfortable for some of you to think about Jesus being tempted towards sin. I mean, right? He's, he's God in the flesh. He's perfect. But, but, but this is important to hear, not only because it affects our understanding of Jesus, but it affects our understanding of ourselves and the church. Hear this. Temptation is not sin. They're two different things. In our little evangelical subculture, it's so easy to treat temptations like they are sins themselves. I mean, why would you be tempted with that? It must be in your heart. Yeah, it is. That's the whole point. That's what it means to live in this cursed world. There is evil abouts. Things are not as they should be. We all live with constant temptation. Our hearts are bent toward evil and we choose sin all the time. To act as though sanctif sanctification should somehow remove us from temptation is absolutely foolish. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you are unaware of temptation to sin in your life, it's because there's just some sin that you're so given over to and you're participating in that it's not a temptation and you're not fighting it. To live in this world with this body and this flesh is to be tempted to sin. To follow Christ is to do battle with that temptation. We should never be shocked when our brothers and sisters are tempted to sin. 
We should never react when they voice their temptations as though they are somehow guilty of the sin. It's a temptation. Jesus experienced them, and so do we. Here in the garden, Jesus does not want to suffer the wrath of God on the cross, and he looks for an out. But look at this. God says no. And here is the absolute key for our understanding temptation. Jesus experiences the temptation. He voices the temptation. And he chooses the will of God. And look at this. Jesus doesn't just bring his temptation to God in prayer. He brings his hurt. I mean, look at Jesus in this story. He is sorrowful to the point of death. He is on his face before the Father. He is so racked with pain and anxiety, he begins to sweat blood. This is a sign of such intense anxiety that blood vessels in the scalp begin to burst because of high blood pressure, and they leak out of the sweat pores and tear ducts. Jesus is experiencing real agony, and God comforts him. He sends an angel to comfort him. He meets him in his hurt. But look at what the Father does not do. He doesn't take away the cross. He doesn't grant Jesus' desire. There is no other way. When Jesus asks for something besides the cross, God comforts him and tells him no. And guys, this is absolutely vital for us. Jesus doesn't just bring his temptation to God. He doesn't just bring his hurt to God. He brings his real heart to God. Think about this for a moment. Jesus knows the will of God. He knows what God's answer will be. He has already chosen to submit to God's will, but he tells him anyway. Think about that for a moment. Why would Jesus bother asking God for a way out of the cross? Why even voice that temptation when he fully knows the will of God and he has already chosen to submit to the will of God? The answer is simple and we've already talked about it. Jesus tells us when we pray to ask God for what we want. Bring our real hearts. Tell him where we're really at. Jesus really wants to not experience the wrath of God. So he tells him. And then God says no. And he comforts him. And he strengthens him. And prepares him for the suffering to come. But there is no rebuke. There is nothing wrong with Jesus' prayer. Beloved, God wants your whole heart. You can bring him your real temptations, your real hurts, your real heart. Even, and hear this, even when you know you haven't been abiding and you know your desires are not his desires, you can still tell him your heart. You can still ask expectantly 
God will comfort your hurts. He will strengthen you and he will point you back to his will. What a gift we have in real prayer with our God. There is no need for pretense, no need to pretend that we are better than we are, no need to attain a, a certain level of spiritual maturity so that we know our prayers are pleasing and right before we pray them. You can actually just come to God exactly as you are right here and right now, and he will hear you and he will point you to his will. Do you hear this? You and me, right here, right now, we have access through Jesus to the heart of God. Beloved, speak to him. So, wrap this around with me. Jesus' prayer here is in the midst of temptation. So how does your prayer life speak into your experience, your experience of temptation? As we've already said, temptation is a part of life in this fallen world. We're tempted with all sorts of evil. You live in a state of constant spiritual warfare. I know that's probably strange language for some of you, but think about it for a few moments. You know your heart. You know, deep down, you desire things that are not in line with the will of God. The scripture tells us that we live in this sort of tension with our old self. We are saved in Christ and called into his perfection with him, but we still have our sinful hearts and we still desire this world. You live in a fallen world. You are already, but not yet. And this tension never stops until you experience eternity with Jesus. Beyond this, you live in a fallen world. The scripture teaches that the curse has bent this world from, from very nature to social systems to government. The, the world around us is bent toward evil. You live in tension with the outside pressures to sin and the inside pressures to sin. I mean, I mean think about this, right? You know it's sinful to lust. You know it's sinful to be dishonest in your work. You know it's sinful to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. But at times, your heart desires that. And it's not just your heart, because even if you manage to overcome your internal temptation to sin, you live in a fallen world that tells you not to worry about your lust. Indulge your desires. It's for your mental and emotional health. We work in offices and companies that need money and success to continue. If it takes a little dishonesty to make a sale or keep a client happy, so be it. It's just business, right? Or why wouldn't you hold on to your anger and unforgiveness? We live in a culture that tells you to protect yourself. After all, people don't really change and, and they should get what they deserve, right? This battle is within us and it is outside of us. It, 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 it is all around us and it goes beyond that. The scripture teaches that Satan is real and he desires your failure. He wants you to live into sin that you might experience the same wrath of God that he knows is reserved for him. So you battle within, you battle without, and you are actively being attacked by a real spiritual enemy who wants to see you devoured and destroyed. 
We live in a state of constant spiritual warfare until Christ returns. Of course, we need to bring this into our prayers. You and I face a million quiet and loud temptations to sin all day long. This is what it means to live in this world. This is what it means to engage in the life of a disciple. You must engage your temptations. You must fight your temptations. You have to fight for holiness and righteousness in your life. It's part of the deal. It's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are to put off the old self like a dirty garment and put on the new self in Christ. It takes work and it takes effort. You and I face temptations all day long. Some of them we conquer and some of them we give into. It's what it is. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul addresses the issue of spiritual warfare and temptation by saying, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Did you hear this? God is faithful. You will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is always a way out. You can fight your sin. And through the power of Jesus, you can win. Prayer taps you into that power. You might hear that text and think something like, that's fine and well, but in the moment, I have no idea what the way out is. I know some of you struggle with compulsive and addictive sin patterns, right? As a church, like we believe in the power of the gospel to destroy even the strongholds of addiction and compulsive behavior. It's why we are so invested in ministries like First Light and our own internal uh, recovery group and sexual purity group here at Red Tree because that stuff gets its talons in you and in a lot of times when you're in the throes of temptation and you're doing that mental battle, it doesn't look like there's any sort of actual way out. Beloved, speak to him. Speak to him. Prayer taps you into the power of God to actually battle your temptation, to actually engage in warfare, to actually experience real freedom. Come to God honestly. Share your temptation. Share your hurts. Share your heart. Let him know what you are struggling with. Let him know what you want to do, right? If if we're honest... If you're in a moment of actual temptation, it's because part of you wants to sin and part of you wants to be holy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation, right? Let him know. Bring honesty to your prayers. Because we see with Jesus, when we bring our real desires to God honestly, he comforts us and he loves us and he points us back to his will. Speak to him. Tell him the truth of your torn heart and your divided affections. See what he says to you. Ask for deliverance. 
Ask him what the way out is. Bring your real heart to him in prayer. Bring your real desires to him. See what he says. See how he treats you. Beloved, I promise you, I promise you, God delights to hear from you. He delights to help you fight your sin. He delights to help you in your time of need. He delights to battle with you, to overcome temptation. He delights to deliver you from evil. That's why Jesus gave us this prayer. Our life is a life of temptation. It's a life of spiritual warfare. But praise be to God. Through the power of Jesus, we have a direct line to the heart of God. And we have the power of the Spirit to overcome sin. Come to him in your temptations. Speak honestly. See how he cares for you. See what he says to you. And beloved, if that's, if that's hard for you, if, if in the throes of a particular temptation or a particular sin pattern, you just can't bring yourself there, let me tell you something. You have a family of faith that loves you and will be in this battle with you. If you can't go straight to God in prayer, Sometimes that's just the reality of the weakness of our heart. Get on the phone and call a brother or sister in the faith. Let us pray with you and for you. Lean on the family of Jesus that you might connect to the power of Jesus to find real freedom. Do not be alone in your temptations. Do not be alone in your sin. There is freedom in Jesus. And I know it's a battle. I know it's a fight. And I know even as I share some of this that a lot of you are beat down by the fight. But beloved, do not give up. Do not lose hope. There is power in Jesus and his finished work to set you free. He desires to battle with you to care for you, to point you to his will, to overcome your temptations, to overcome your sins, and to make you into his likeness. Beloved, speak to him.